I'm Jason Kelly. And I'm Carol Masser. Welcome to the Bloomberg Business Week Extra. It's our weekly podcast bringing you an in-depth interview you will not hear anywhere else. And Jason, this really is an exclusive interview. It's one of the folks of the Bloomberg 50. We're talking about IAC CEO Joey Levin. I trooped down to his headquarters here in New York City. Of course, the headquarters alone Mm -hmm. are iconic now on the West Side. You can't drive up the West Side Highway without picking them out. Barry Diller, he's behind it. Joey Levin, though, he was a longtime lieutenant. He's now running the show. Here's your conversation. So congratulations, Bloomberg 50. Thank you very uh, much. Here at IAC headquarters. Thanks for hosting. So I want to go back to the beginning and, and understand how you got here because you're a banker. Yeah, I don't like to admit that. (laughs) That's true. Uh, I was. I was a banker, and actually, I learned a tremendous amount. I don't. I don't at all regret having done it. I didn't. It wasn't my favorite thing I ever did, but I learned a tremendous amount, and I think it opened up a lot of opportunities for me in terms of just how to think about things. And and uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do out of college. And there was where I went to college. There was a lot of banks that did a lot of recruiting. Yeah. And they pulled me into uh, the sort of tech bubble, which sort of the peak of the tech bubble, which is when the the recruiting started it was the fall of 2000 when things were just about to crest over and by yeah. the time i started they had uh the bubble had burst and uh, uh they offered me thirty thousand dollars not to show up to the job but i decided to show up anyway it is. yeah wow yeah it was uh it was a really interesting time and i think it's a great time to get started on a career because you could if i had started two years early i would have thought you could do nothing wrong uh and i started uh two years later and it was you could do nothing right, and you really had to grind out to figure out how to make things work. And uh, so I'm actually pretty, I'm, I'm grateful for that. But so I, I came to IC to do mergers and acquisitions, which is what I was doing in, in, as a banker. Uh, and really, Barry had told the market he wanted to spend $10 billion on acquisitions in the internet, and I thought that that is, uh, that sounds like a lot of fun. Right. And the, this was 2003, and the internet was not popular. It was, people said, we, we, Advertising doesn't work on the internet. Uh, we we're not buying eyeballs anymore, and and this thing's overdone. And we thought, no, oh, there's still a lot of opportunity here, and uh, we did. We went and spent most of that money in travel, but we we were uh, very active in that. And and M and A was very sort of core to the center of IAC, and so I got to know uh, Barry and the, the the vice chairman Victor Kaufman very well, who were all very involved in this process. Uh, and, uh, and and Dara was there then, who's who's. Now at Uber, and it was a great group of people who yeah. I learned a tremendous, tremendous amount from, and uh, started doing acquisitions, then started doing some finance stuff, and then started running my first business in 2009. And so uh, go back to sort of joining, and I mean, at that point, Barry Diller is capital B, capital D, Barry Diller. I mean, yeah. like, he's, he's not an unknown uh, yeah. at that point. What were your first impressions of working for him? It was funny. People had all these things of... Okay, you're you're going into your first meeting with Barry, or you're going into a meeting with Barry. Don't look at him. I don't look directly at him, but don't look away from him. <laughs> I was like, what? There was all these like rules that people were trying to give me, and you go into the meeting. He's a he's a regular person. He's very intense, and he's yeah. very sharp, and he gets to the point on everything very quickly, and and sort of intolerant of of kind of nonsense or waste. But he's just a, a person in a meeting. And uh, the thing that I appreciated right away and still appreciate today very much is this culture of debate and discussion and challenging. And it's, it's, it's a lot of ways it's, it's hard to do as a leader because you say to everybody, you know, essentially everything I say, 
you should challenge. Everything I say, you should disagree with. Everything, and, and to make sure that, that you get to the right answer. And it is a, definitively a better way of getting to the right answer, but it is a hard thing and something that Barry has, has always embraced. And it doesn't work for everybody. You know, some people don't, don't like that kind of culture. Uh, but but I, it worked well for me and my personality, and, and we ended up getting along. But I didn't really get to know Barry, even though I was in meetings with Barry. I probably sure. didn't get to know Barry until several years into being at IAC. Right. And did you anticipate when you got here that you would be here for, for this long? Because, you know, in today's day and age, like, it's a yeah. pretty long tenure at one place. It is. Uh, and did I anticipate it? No, I definitely did not anticipate it. But... Did I desire that? Yeah. I, yeah. I remember when I was interviewing for jobs out of investment banking, I, I very quickly knew I didn't want to be an investment banker. And I, I was learning a lot, and I was grateful for all the people that I was working with. I just knew that that wasn't for me long term. So I started doing interviews. And one of the things that investment bankers frequently interview for is private equity or asset management right. or alternative assets. And I was, uh, so I was interviewing with a private, a, a great private equity fund and they said what do you want to uh you know talk to us about what you want to do or where you want to be in a few years i said i'd I'd like to be you know in a company running a company you know driving business building a product and they said well then what are you doing here i said good point (laughs) and so i left and and i actually started talking to ic then and i thought when i went there i want to uh be a part of building something yeah and uh you know Barry is very much a builder, and IAC is a company very much about building and building companies, and uh, and so I got very lucky in that sense. Well, and as you pointed out, I mean, M&A has been at the core of this company yep. in, in a lot of ways, um, both buying and selling in many ways and spinning off, and we'll get sure. to that, I'm sure, a little later in the conversation. Um, how does that sort of help define the culture? Because there's a lot of movement, and there's a lot of constant... Uh, coming and going in, in many ways in a lot of innovation, uh, I would imagine, but also potential friction among all of these new things happening all the time. How do you manage that? Uh, well, there's a lot in there. We, 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 we like the friction. Um, we like that things challenge themselves and each other. We frequently have multiple businesses in the same category right. competing with each other. Our view is we'd rather disrupt ourselves than have somebody disrupt us, and so, so we're... we're Often, if we have a thesis on a category, we want several teams going after it and several businesses going after it, and it's okay if they they compete with each other and challenge each other in in going after that um, end result. Because in many ways, you can you can predict some components of the future. No one can predict the future, but you can say, "There's here's one way of doing something, and here's a better way of doing something." Five years from now, or ten years from now, are people going to be doing it the better way? Or the worst way. Well, they're definitely going to be doing it the better way, right? Yeah. You don't know whether you're going to get the right team that, that's going to figure out how to do the better way better than the other people <laughs> figuring out the better way. But you, you do know that that's what the future is going to look like. And so what we try and do is put a lot of bets against that future so that, that we can meaningfully participate in it. And uh, uh, that, that sometimes leads to conflict. That sometimes leads to multiple bets in the same category right. or friction in your words. And, and that's something that's okay with us. Right. Yeah. It feels like it's baked in it in, is. in some ways. It is. I, I was, um, we, uh, one of our board members, uh, Chelsea Clinton, we, we did a, a town hall yesterday with a bunch of employees. So I was, in, I was in your seat interviewing her and she said something which I thought was very interesting. It's, it's, a, 
a sort of revolution on something or, or a turn on something that, that we say internally, which is inertia is a very powerful and the most underrated force in business, both for good and for bad. And what Chelsea described, said from her observance as a board member is that we go out of our way to reject inertia. Mm. You know, and again, for good and for bad. Don't, don't overestimate a tailwind. Uh, don't, don't believe too much that, that a tailwind is, is, is your own brilliance. Um, and uh, also don't be sort of intimidated by those, those headwinds and, and figure out how to, to push through that. And I think that, that is an important point yeah. in there. And so you know, going back to, to 2003 and sort of fast-forwarding to the present, the Internet is a very different place than, yeah. than it was in 2003. How do you define the Internet? That's a big question. But how yeah. do you define the Internet from a business perspective in 2019? Um, what, where the Internet, the, the sort of mind-blowing thing in the beginning of the Internet, the f- sort of, I don't know if we'll call it the first phase, I'll call it the first phase for now, of the Internet was choice and, and breadth. The, you, you recall when Google came out, people, th- their big thing was one of you know, 100 million results yes. when, when you do a search, and people's minds were blown by that appropriately. I mean, it was just uh, amazing that you could... Uh, ask about some uh, Nike shoes of some particular year and see 10 million results of, of, about that. And uh, that was the first and really interesting phase of the internet. And in a way, it's gone. It's gone the, the complete opposite of that today. So today, it's actually about how do you narrow the choices, yes. right? How do you get to the one answer? Because now. I mean, always 10 million. You can't really do anything with 10 million uh, uh, choices. You, you, that, that's not that helpful. As much as it is fascinating, it's not that helpful. You need to get to the answer, right, the one answer. And so now all the platforms are about not giving choice but giving uh, uh, a solution. Right. And we're, we're thinking about that in a lot of our businesses. Take um, Angie Home Services, for example, where we are matching consumers with home service professionals. Right now, we match you with with several, and uh, to the extent someone wants that, we will continue to match them with several. But what we see is many consumers want to be matched with just the right one. Just just tell me. I right. we've grown up knowing platforms, knowing the internet, and we know which brands we want to trust and which brands we don't want to trust. And if it's a brand we trust, just save me the trouble, give me the answer, and and that's what what uh, we're we're trying to do now with Angie and with other of our businesses too. I mean, it's 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 harder in dating. I'd like to say that we could uh, find a person and we could say, okay, boom, here's a person for you. You <laughs> right guys will get end. married next week <laughs> right. uh, and, and off you go. I don't think that's uh, realistic ever in that category, but we can get better with our algorithms. We can get better at matching people as we learn more so that you don't have to go through you know, hundreds of conversations. Maybe you go through dozens of conversations right. or, or less than that and, and to get to find people that you might be compatible with. And when you think about sort of the Internet, again, broadly defined in 2019. It feels like if we went back to 2003 or certainly even in earlier, there was a lot of enthusiasm, you know, a lot of just excitement about what it could be. Yeah. Today, it feels like there's more skepticism, you know, whether it's from regulators, whether it's from some of the companies themselves, whether it's from consumers. How do you read this moment where we are, you know, sort of broadly defined as this sort of tech lash, for lack of a better term? It's funny because it's the exact same thing that was what everyone was so excited about in the beginning, which was the, the 
the monopolies or the duopolies or the, or the, the power that was concentrated in the hands of a few, the Internet came through and said, nope, no yeah. more, we're going to distribute this, and anyone can do anything, anyone's empowered, you can start a business, you can reach consumers, you don't need to go through a, uh, a, a privately owned platform to reach end users, you don't need an infinite amount of money to reach end users, you can open your shop on the Internet and boom, you can reach the world. And that distribution was phenomenal and, and led to so much innovation and so much excitement, and that's why people were, were so excited. What happened is that power got reconcentrated again in a handful of hands. Uh, and we, those are the companies that are in the headlines and as part of that tech clash. And those companies do have enormous power. To right. They're kingmakers of, of other companies, of individuals, of, of uh, politicians, for not necessarily by design, but sometimes by accident. Uh, that is a you know that that goes back to that scary thing, and people don't like to be in that position where there's a handful of people with a very significant amount of power. It's a sort of more American and democratic thing to see that right. uh, distributed, and I think people want to see that happen again. And what do you see as IAC's role in essentially combating that? Well, our biggest thing is having great independent products and having those products resonate with users. If we are uh, if we can communicate a very compelling product experience in our category to a user, I believe we can win, and I believe we can, we have historically, and I believe we can continue to defeat the the giants. Um, the giants com- compete with us sometimes, over implicitly, sometimes explicitly, but they do compete with us. We also benefit hugely and have benefited hugely from their scale. Uh, knowing how to use those platforms to to acquire audience, to to interact with with customers or potential customers, and those platforms have been hugely helpful to us in building our business. But also, increasingly, as they look for growth, they are competing with us, and that's something that we we'll have to do. And and you just win that on on a better product. So help me understand. One of your strategies seems to be keep me honest here, sort of a like build. Build and spin or build and sell. Obviously, that happened with, with Match or is in the process of happening with Match. And, and I think you've said that you want things only to get so big, you're not empire building it yeah. to some extent. Help me understand the thinking underneath that. Sure. So I'll correct one small thing, which is build and sell is rarely something that we do. Uh, I, we don't think of a spin as a sale. Yeah. Uh, Fair. We, we have sold companies. That generally, when we're selling a company, it's just because we haven't figured out how to make it work for us. Um, it doesn't sort of fit, and we, we, we can't we can't get it going in in our ambition. And somebody else may be able to do it better. Uh, spinning is different. Spinning, it's our shareholders get it. We just give it to our shareholders, and they can continue to hold it forever. Yeah. And uh, when we look at our track record over time, we we presume that somebody comes in, and from the moment they come in, they continue to hold everything forever. They can just hold it in separate pockets instead of all in in, in one pocket. Mm-hmm. Uh, and. The reason that we do that is it. There, there's lots of micro reasons, and sometimes there's tactical reasons. But the the main reason that we do it is we like the process of building. We like the process of starting over. And when you have something huge, it overshadows everything else. And Match is such a good business; it's doing so well right now, and 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 it, it, investors care tremendously about it. And anything else we do is basically irrelevant relative to how many subscribers Tinder had in a quarter. And when you get to that level, at some point you say, okay, this thing 
has the ability to be off on its own. And if we if we put that thing on its own, then we can focus again on the smaller things because uh, when we're focused on the smaller things, you, you put that kind of energy in it. There's nowhere to hide, and you you gotta. Uh, you got to make those work, and, right. and we like that process. So match underway is the idea you'll do something similar with Angie Home Services? I'd hope to at some point. Yeah. Uh, we, we've said right now we're not focused on that. Uh, we're focused on trying to get match done. Um, but at some point, that, that, that very well may make sense. But, you know, there's all kinds of considerations and, and where and when and timing and how and all those things are, are kind of wide open. Right. And so when you look through the rest of the portfolio, where are you spending a lot of your time either building or, uh, you know, expanding? What are, you, what are you most excited about? I know that's like having you pick among your children, but, you know. Yeah. Uh, so first of all, I'll, I'll maybe do it in terms of size. Angie is a huge one and is, a, I think, a fantastic business in a fantastic category with an incredible lead that we can do really cool things on product. And uh, uh, we're, we're doing kind of the most ag- aggressive product evolution in Angie's history right now. And we're very optimistic about what we can do with that. And so that's pretty exciting. I'm, I'm spending a decent amount of time on that. Uh, I, next is uh, in, I guess we could do it in order of uh, to profit, but dot dash. Dot yeah. dash is... I think the modern publisher, uh, digital publisher. The, all these other businesses have been in the publishing category. There, there's been a tremendous rise and fall of publishing business, and DotDash has just stayed very focused on delivering people content, what they call need-to-know content. You can call it sort of pull content as against push content. Push content is what you and I are doing right now is we're presuming that people want to hear from one of us and we're doing an interview and we're shipping it out. They, they do. Can, I guarantee you they do. Yes. <laughs> uh, what, what Dot Dash is, is doing is saying, uh, we know people are looking for this thing specifically, which is what are the best hiking boots or uh, uh, what do I do about lower back pain or things like that. And we're making sure that we create the best content to answer those questions. The, what we say, freshest, fastest, fewest. Freshest meaning to the extent there's anything updated in the category, we're always constantly updating that. Fastest, meaning we actually deliver our, our uh, site faster than anybody else. And fewest, meaning having the fewest ads so that there's no room for anybody else or no reason for anybody else to come in. We want a great consumer experience. We don't want to over-monetize it. And, and nobody else is doing that in that area, and we're finding that we can do it very well, and we're, we're going to uh, outspend everybody in having the best content in there. It's, it's a... I, I ambitiously make a Netflix analogy in that what Netflix is doing on, on uh, video content we're trying to do on sort of print or, or this need-to-know content. Yeah. Uh, Outspan have the, by far the best content in the category. And uh, it's turning out to be a real business with a real moat. Nicely profitable and I think great growth potential. All right, so let's go full white space here. You know, yeah. Beyond what you're doing now, when you're entertaining new ideas, I don't yeah. need you to tip your hand necessarily about the next move, although you're welcome to. Yeah. Um, but what, what do you see out there for a consumer in the media world, in the publishing world, in the broad internet defined where maybe there's some, maybe there's some space? There's a theme that's hitting on a bunch of our businesses and totally new businesses, new categories altogether, which is how people find work 
and get work. Uh, we have a very, very tiny business today which is doing that uh, called Blue Crew, which is in the light industrial matching um, uh, temp labor hourly workers with employers. And uh, that's a really interesting one. But in m more broadly, the process of hiring and finding people who can do work, whether it's for an individual in their home, whether it's for an employer with a full-time employee, an employer with a part-time employee, that entire process happens offline. And software is very kind of minimally involved. It's involved in the front end, which is you can find people's resumes or lists of resumes or lists of listings online. But that matching process, I think, can be done very well with software. And we're doing that in Blue Crew in this one area. And I think it can be done in lots of areas uh, uh, in a really interesting way. And so we're spending a lot of time thinking about that and pretty excited about it. What's your one big lesson so far in your career? Best advice or best, best advice you've gotten or best advice you give now as a CEO? Uh, man, there's a lot. <laughs> there's, there's a lot to choose from in advice I've, I've gotten. Um, I, my, my favorite is really something that, that Barry has pushed always at IAC is think bigger and be ambitious and passionate. That's what are the things that get people excited. That's what's great for deciding your career. You know, thinking big and thinking ambitious and thinking passionately about something, that means you're going to be doing something you love. That means you're going to be doing something that, that excites you. That means you're going to be doing something that has great potential. And and think about it in a big way, not in a small way. Right. And if you if you think in a small way, the best you do is achieve that. You think in a big way, you you, you and maybe you get a chance of achieving that big thing. All right, yeah. Joey Levin, thank you so much. Thank you. It's good to be here. That was Joey Levin, IAC CEO. Great conversation, Jason. Thank you. I mean, what I really liked about it was catching up with him in sort of a fulsome way, you know, understanding where he came from. He started on Wall Street. He quickly realizes he doesn't want to do that, goes to work for Barry Diller, one of the most iconic business people of our time. Like a great teacher, right? Totally. I mean, you learn so much by osmosis in some ways. Totally. But what Joey Levin now has ahead of him is the ability to really shape content, publishing, even how we find someone to fix something at our house, they've got this massive platform that's going to be very influential going forward. Well, it's a great conversation, uh, and you covered so much ground. You've been listening to Bloomberg Business Week Extra. And be sure to tune in to Bloomberg Business Week Radio Live Monday through Friday at 2 p.m. Wall Street time on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Jason Kelly. And I'm Carol Masser. This is Bloomberg.